Are we on the verge of living in a world where artificial intelligence will dominate mankind? This is the question I posed to UFO researcher and alternative historian Richard Dolan while on location at the 2017 Contact in the Desert event in Joshua Tree, California. Artificial intelligence, or AI, is a loaded subject these days, but it's not just a topic relegated to global think tanks and scientists in search of the next great technological breakthrough. This is a reality that every single individual on this planet will have to contend with, like it or not. Richard had some great insights to share on this important and controversial subject. Richard, you and I had a conversation a few days ago, and I called you up on the phone and I said, going to see you soon at the Contact in the uh -huh. Desert, which is where we are right now. So happy to see you. And I asked you if we could, you know, I always like to talk about things that are slightly different, yes. slightly off the beaten path. This time I want to talk about artificial intelligence. Yes, um, fascinating. Yeah, it's a fascinating area. But not just AI, and we know that this is a very, it's a big subject, it's somewhat contentious because there are... Uh, sort of lot, lots of conversations going on as to what the end game may be in terms of driving society toward more of an AI platform. But what I haven't heard too much about, which is what I'd like to broach with you today, is what, if any, the UFO phenomenon may have to do with this. What is there any involvement? And that's a loaded question, and I really want to try to meet that out today. I've been so. interested in that issue for at least 15 years, 16 years, uh, more or less since I first became uh, publicly engaged in this study of UFOs. Um, I will just say, like in, in terms of AI, it's it's all around us now in our world, and it's only growing. It's um, artificial intelligence is is really embedding itself in the very fabric of our of our lives through the technologies that we use, and uh, only mm -hmm. only to become more and more powerful. I think mm -hmm. uh, what what people are talking about in terms of the future of AI, I think many times is is what is referred to as a singularity, right? Which is uh, an idea. But that AI theorists have, in which artificial intelligence will become self-aware and and is able to uh, determine its own upgrading needs, perhaps, and and sort of outthink human beings. And uh, they call it the singularity, by the way, to um, in reference to the singularity of a black hole. So in physics, in um, in a black hole, physics are so different mm -hmm. that it's uh, I guess you could say it's impossible for us to be able to predict or understand what's going on within that little space and so AI theorists use the word singularity to describe the very same situation when in computer intelligence exceeds our own uh -huh. they argue we will no longer have the ability to predict where our civilization is going to go say because we're not going to be driving it we're not going to be running it um, so that's where they're kind of going with that idea. In terms of the UFO subject, um, you know, I started researching UFOs a little more than 20, uh, almost 25 years ago, I guess, and I got into the whole AI connection not long after I read a, a great book by Ray Kurzweil. I was just going to mention Ray Kurzweil. Yeah. yeah. Um, hmm. He had a book he wrote in 1999 called The Age of Spiritual Machines, and hmm. it's, uh, it's a really an amazing book for me. I read it, I think, in 2000, 2001, and it was one of those books that had a, I have to say, it had a significant impact on my thinking. Um, and what he, it wasn't the first time I had read a, a good book on AI, but I guess it was the first time in a while that I had, and, and it just reached me at the right time. So his vision essentially was... Um, and this is a guy who had a, has already by then had a great track record of predicting AI and, and computing developments. Um, his vision of the future was one in which by 2020 mm -hmm. or by 2025, 2030 maybe, uh, computing intelligence will match that of one human brain. Like a leading edge consumer grade computer will have the computing processing power of a human brain. Um, and then he, he argued at that point it will surpass and he did a really good job in this book at uh, sort of picturing and visualizing the world 
So um, I guess you could say I, I was persuaded by his pr presentation. Persuaded. Let me let me ask you. Persuaded? How though? Because we're. I really want to get into the whole. Is it a malevolent thing? Is it a benevolent thing? Mm -hmm. Is it neutral and it can go either way? But what? persuaded you and in, in, in what regard? Well, reading his book, I, I wish I could remember specifically, it's sitting on my shelf. I was persuaded because he's, he's clearly an expert, clearly a knowledgeable person, and he made what seemed to me to be a reasonable argument, extrapolating on current technology as to where we're going. Um, and in fact, I think a lot of what he had been predicting even in that book is coming true. I don't mm. know about the timeline exactly, but I think more or less we are moving in the directions that he saw. Mm -hmm. um, you know, back then in '99, computing—we uh, didn't really have the, the Internet of Things. Right. Uh, but he was more or less talking about that same concept in that book. So he was foreseeing a lot of what we're living in. But I was persuaded that this was a real possibility. And then what I quickly learned is that he wasn't the only one. This is a large community, AI theorists. I mean, people think UFOs are a little strange. I would encourage you, if you think UFOs are out there, read a couple of good books on the future of artificial intelligence. Right. All right they, they go way out there. And they, unlike people in my field, our field, um, sometimes get a lot of government money mm -hmm. <laughs> to research Absolutely. what they're doing and, yes. and a lot of status. Um, and yet they're looking at a future that's very bizarre indeed. Uh, and so Kurzweil isn't the only such theorist, not by any means. Um, so, um, and of course, anyone can do a good web search and find a tremendous amount of brilliant, insightful work on the singularity. Right. Uh, but I got into thinking about the UFO phenomenon, and uh, you know, when you look at UFO researchers through from the 1950s through the 60s and right up and through the rest of the 20th century, whenever people would write about this phenomenon and who these, if these are extraterrestrials, if there are other beings. It seemed to me that the assumption was always that they were some kind of straightforward biological being. And um, it occurred to me that that probably wasn't realistic. Mm -hmm. That, uh, you know, when you, particularly when you look at the, or when you read the accounts that people have of some of these beings, such as the Greys. I want to talk about that, absolutely. Well, yeah. I would just yeah. say that the, the Greys don't really strike me as a species that would naturally evolve. Mm -hmm. um, the greys strike me as, if they, are, if they exist, they strike me as a species that is genetically modified and very possibly enhanced with artificial intelligence. Okay. The way that Kurzweil describes, he described nanobots, mm -hmm. um, nanoengineering, kind of working with advanced intelligence in ways, advanced computing intelligence. Mm -hmm. So I thought, this, is, this strikes me as what the greys might very well be. Right. Well, you know, I want to quote an article that I dug up on you. I think this was back in 2002. You wrote an article simply entitled, What Are They? Yeah. yeah Where yeah. you, I think, this is probably one of the first times you really started to touch on this theme and kind of put your postulate together. Let me just read the quote and then we can kind of take mm -hmm. off from there. You say essentially, quote, essentially UFOs are seen as the product of an advanced intelligence, either biological in nature or else something paranormal, possibly beyond our physics. I have come to a different conclusion. You say, I can see that my position is provisional and may change in time, but the more I reflect on it, the more persuasive I find it. It is that the UFO phenomenon is the product of an artificial intelligence. Yeah, right, and I'm glad I, I'm glad I wrote the product of, rather than saying that they are artificial intelligence, because there's a lot of possibilities here. If you have an advanced AI uh, that has the ability to tweak genetics, as well as to create a sort of hybrid artificial or hybrid organic inorganic uh, creature. Mm -hmm. And this was before we learned about advanced 3D printing. Uh, I didn't know about 3D printing in 2002. Um, but I think, yeah, the product of. Um, it, it was reading Kurzweil that really turned me on to this because it occurred to me that in our own society, we're how many decades away from some kind of true leap in the, the dominant advanced intelligence of our civilization. Mm -hmm. Whether it's human, whether it's human-computer hybrid, as he hypothesized, Absolutely. or just the computers. You know, the computers saying, oh, humans, let's get rid of those guys. Um, huh. So whatever it is, there's going to be a, a, a new level of intelligence. And I thought they would have a greater ability than we do of creating an artificial life form. Well, this is where we're really going. 
to, to try and of course we're not going to be able to, to, to come to any resolution as to what's going on because I think it's multifaceted but certainly the idea the, the, the intimation that many have put forward including yourself that uh, some of our what I like to refer to as non-human intelligence may have at least a part of themselves that are synthet synthetic rather than organic certainly advanced uh, technologically but the, the big question again becomes and this is really uh, controversial to say the least what if any hand might they have in driving this push uh, for those that are working openly uh, the humans that are working on it what role might they be playing in the infrastructure of driving society or driving humankind toward uh, toward advanced AI toward advanced AI well and I don't expect you to answer the question but this, this is a thing that obviously I, I somehow feel that there may in fact be a connection I mean we look we know uh, you yourself having done extraordinary work in terms of the, the government cover-up who some of these uh, uh, government intelligence agencies may be in contact with uh, at Al, uh, their um, what can I say? Enthusiasm toward looking at the, the further development of AI. Might they be getting some intelligence about that whole process by some of these uh, non-human intelligence? Not, well, I'm trying to uh, make sure I understand you properly. Okay. So, okay. Uh, one thing that I will offer is that. The AI infrastructure that we're developing is a, is a train out of control. No one has control over this, in my opinion. Like, huh. in other words, you've got people in the computing field and the AI field who want to stop the train. Back uh, 20 years ago, it was a fellow named Bill Joy out of Sun Microsystems yes. who said, you stop this train. Mm. Uh, today, it's people like Elon Musk, who is very, very concerned yeah. about... And I think Stephen Hawking might uh, also fit in this, who are looking at the dangers of runaway artificial intelligence and saying, We've, we may have a real problem here. Uh, but the, the thing is, I don't think anyone sees a way to stop this. All right, it's, it's not simply a bunch of scientists agreeing, for the, for the greater good of mankind, <laughs> we need not to do this. That's <laughs> never going to happen. Because yeah. there's military applications, there's economic financial applications, there's, there's uh, profit involved in all of this it will never stop so this is happening um, now the within the um, if I'm understanding what you're asking here within the intelligence community yes. or the classified research maybe that might be a better way to put it okay um, I think we will assume that there's great deep sophisticated research going on within the classified world on artificial intelligence everyone pretty much agrees to this no one really no one outside of those communities knows how far they've gone um, and we're, we're combining AI with a lot of other questions like quantum computing has the classified world achieved full-blown quantum computing some people think they have mm -hmm. others think no they haven't I have no idea um, and you know you could ask the same question about a number of other similar kinds of um, technologies and, and sciences that we're working on uh, whether it's um, this thing that I recently learned about called molecular computing hmm. I, I met this young brilliant guy on a plane mm -hmm. who worked on this and it strikes me as actually at least as important as quantum molecular computing. correct molecular computing, computing. Um, I need to learn a lot more about this, but it's, it seems profoundly transformative from my limited take on it. So there's all of these different sciences being worked on in the open world and the classified world. Mm -hmm. AI is one aspect of that. And the one question we could ask is, how far have these guys gone? Right. How far has it gone into them creating a completely different, if they have a different scientific type of infrastructure than what we have. Many, many times I've talked about a, uh, a conversation I had with a scientist in the classified world. Uh, he was a, a scientist, civilian scientist with NSA in 1965. Wow. So this was, the NSA wasn't outed as an institution until officially a book in 1964. It's called The Invisible Government. And um, in this book, they had a chapter on the National Security Agency. So it had just been outed. This scientist worked for them at around that time. And he said to me, they had a computer that, would, that ran at a clock speed of 650 megahertz. 
I've said this many times. Now, 650 megahertz today is nothing. Nothing, right. right. But the computer market uh, didn't reach that clock speed until the year 2000. So if you have a computer in 1965 running at that speed, that's 35 years ahead of the rest of the world. Not too shabby for an organization that wasn't even supposed to exist. Right. <laughs> so, um, so we... And, and you know that's only once there's a lot of other examples I think that other researchers can point out of the classified world being quite advanced and others um, maybe less so I think you know a number of years ago I, I wrote I coined a phrase breakaway civilization and it's it's gotten some legs and other people like to talk about this and I still will feel after all these years it's a totally valid hypothesis but I I will say this about it um, just because the classified world probably has significant breakthroughs in certain areas of our science and technology that would probably lead to other discoveries and so on that we're not permitted to see does not mean that they necessarily have achieved magical breakthroughs in all sciences. Sure. sure. So there may right. be limitations that they have. In fact, I'm assuming that there are. Um, I'm just saying that because I thought I'd have the opportunity to say it here on camera. No, it all, it all, it all kind of fits together. I want to quote somebody else. This article, by the way, I would encourage everyone to go look it up. I had to do a little bit of digging. You told me to find it. On, it's a long time ago. But it's still there in the, in the it's on my website. blogosphere. Well, it's actually on the Unknown Country website, so I think it's oh, kind of Whitley matriculated Schreber. throughout. Um, but it's actually quite good. I mean, I think, I think we, we really get to see some of, you've laid the groundwork for what would be the future Richard Dolan in the subjects that, that you've dug into so deeply. But in that article, you also quote a gentleman named Ivan Sanderson. Oh, yes, indeed. This prolific writer on UFOs back in the 60s. And this is, again, in, uh, where he uh, made a statement I don't know, the, where he said the actual occupants of the alien craft were in fact artificial. Again, right. getting back to this, drawing a nexus between if we're talking about an intelligent species or species, plural, that may in fact be synthetic, but yes. far surpassing obviously our, um, the way we live right now, might they have a hand in helping those that are trying to promote the singularity and promote AI. Might they oh, have, that's where I'm going. This is where you're going. Yes. Interesting. Yes. Uh, one point about Sanderson <laughs> that people should know. First of all, he was a, a superb writer. Mm. Really one of the best writers that the UFO and related alternative fields have ever had. He's mm -hmm. just beautiful writing. Um, and what he did in, in the book where I was quoting him, um, he wrote a book called he wrote a book on underwater UFOs in 1970 called um, Uninvited Visitors, mm -hmm. no, Invisible Residents. But in this earlier book from 1967 called Unin Uninvited Guests, I think, or Uninvited Visitors. Uh -huh. And in that book, he, he doesn't really say what he thinks UFOs are. He says, what might they be? What might they be, right. And he lays out a, a really intelligent series of possibilities. Could they be, could they be organic or inorganic? If inorganic could they be whoops whoops um, could they be um, mechanical or could they be natural and and he breaks all of these and could, if they're organic could they be natural or artificial and if artificial could they be this or that mm -hmm. so he has this whole tree of possibilities and it's very worthwhile um, if anyone can find it I think it may be available and yeah out there, maybe out of print, but it's a great book. Right, right. Uh, in terms of your, what you're asking, could these other beings be guiding our AI technologies? This is like a variation of the larger question, are other beings guiding us in, in general? In general, right. And uh, I don't Who know knows? any better than anyone else. Right. Well, again, I don't think the goal, Richard, is to come to a, a definitive conclusion, but to explore again uh, the possibilities. Well, let's think you know, of it this way. Look, if they have been here, let's say they've been here a long time. Many of us think that they, they have been here a long time. I think that I believe that that's the case. So I tend to believe that A, we're not alone. I tend to believe that there's another intelligence or multiple intelligences that find us interesting. And why wouldn't they? We are interesting. Earth is fascinating. Yeah. Earth is awesome. So if they've been here a long time, they're watching us. And if they've been here a long time, have they managed us? Have they manipulated us? 
Have they created us? I mean, let's take it. And again, are we property? I, I'm not. I'm not asking a rhetorical question here. I, I want to try to just explore the possibilities. Interesting that you should say they find us interesting. You know, this has been a big subject of debate in terms of if abductions are actually taking place, what would be the motivation to do this? Are they simply interested in us, or are they interested perhaps in their own experiment? Are they interested in mixing human and non-human DNA? I want to touch on the high the hybridization program if there is such a thing. Okay. A lot of evidence leading to the fact that there may be. So again, the, the questions are many. Let yeah. me let me go back. I'm glad you brought up Ray Kurzweil. I mm -hmm. want to make sure I pronounce his name because I think yeah. a lot of people say Kurzweil. It's Kurzweil, I yeah. believe. Um, I obviously there's a, there's a cornucopia of information about him and, and his postulate of this uh, AI and, and it, frankly transhumanism. We want to talk about, he's about a, that he, too. He's a real optimist Absolutely. about transhumanism. In a, in a way that I, I've never been able to get. Right, right. I don't and get the optimism. There may be a little bit of a, well, I, I'm, I'm going to hold off on that. Let me, let me yeah. give you this quote. Let's, because I want to really talk about, this is where it gets kind of deep for me. If we're moving in this direction, and it seems inevitable that we are, that we are moving more toward uh, an advanced technological civilization to whatever degree it's going to be a part of us, is it for the good of humanity? Or for something else. Let me give you a quote that he that he said, I think recently. He says, quote, things are going to move. This this is in reference this to AI. Yeah. Things are going to move at a pace beyond what we can now comprehend. People may not even notice it, because in its wake it will leave a very good facsimile of the real world. And this is where I kind of had a little bit of an aha moment where I said, hmm. People may not even notice it. When you think about all of the things that are going on in this world right now, covert operations, things that may not be in our best interest, I think the one thing that perhaps these groups, these factions are banking on is the fact that people won't notice it. Look, so they, I have to don't. say I had, I had to raise an eyebrow when I read that. I'd love to get your uh, thoughts on that. This is a story of humanity. 500 years ago, Niccolo Machiavelli wrote in a great book called The Discourses on Livy. A paraphrase. He said, "Look, if you really want to have a, an effective revolution, um, make sure you retain a semblance of the old forms, right. because that's all people ever notice. You're going to have totally right. profound changes going on deep below the surface. People don't care. As long as they see the same structure, that's all they're going to know about. And nothing has changed in that regard. We're this right. exact same way that we were 500 years ago. Um, and unfortunately, I would say, um, it's pretty easy to fool people." Uh, yes, you mentioned covert ops. That goes gone. Those go on all the time, uh, and we have. Um, don't get me started on the media. <laughs> so we have let's a, get started we have on a, the media. <laughs> we have a, a corporate media complex that does yeah. nothing other than lie. That's all they do. They don't. They don't sometimes tell the truth. I think they never, never really tell the truth unless it's by accident, <laughs> um, not by intention. Right. So that's our world, and. Um, so when Kurzweil's talking about this, this transformation happening without us noticing, um, I remember that quotation as well. And as I recall, okay. Okay. Um, you know, I, he, should, he should be here saying this, not me, but that, um, that the, you know, the, I think he was saying the structures of our visual reality might not be radically different but the transformation of the technology beneath it would be very different. Uh-huh. Yeah, my feeling is, I have a feeling it's gonna look and feel very different. Uh, 2017 looks and feels very different from 1995 to me. Um, in many ways, our society is very radically different. And I have a feeling- For those that are paying attention. <laughs> well, to it, too, we didn't really have a web to speak of right. in the early 90s, and we didn't have social media. We didn't have, there's no YouTube. In other words, all the ways that we're communicating, like you and I couldn't really be doing this interview realistically 20 plus years ago oh, yeah. and putting it out on the web. So a lot is different. And, um, and I have a feeling that 20 years from now, a lot more will be very different. Sure, but again, and this is the, this is the deep part for me, Richard, among many other components of this, the fact that people seem to be so oblivious to what we consider to be sweeping changes. Uh, you know, let's just take the, the, the everyday user of devices, of Facebook and other social media outlets, that those that are our age and older 
who are acting as if it has been a part, an integral part of their lives since they were born. Yeah, but right. It's and not really noticing the deep. Exactly. But they're not even noticing the demarcation. And that's where we go back to Kurtzwell's statement. And I kind of had a little bit of an aha uh, moment. Gotcha. People won't even notice it because it will appear to them as if it's just a facsimile of what they have, of a normal world. That says to me, and maybe I'm over, you know, over putting too much emphasis on it, but there's a little, that was a little concerning to me, mm -hmm. frankly, because I think that's been the MO of, of so many of those that have constructed reality for the masses for so long, to be able to do it, either desensitize folks or, um, you know, make it such that the, the reality matrix is something that's ever-changing, but with one caveat, nobody will notice it. Yeah. I, I guess um, my biggest concern about things like Facebook, things like social media, and uh, kind of all the general direction we're going, is that it seems to me <clears throat> um, it's quite possible that it makes it easier, not harder, to control people. Absolutely. It's like, well, when, when we first started this whole business of the web, it was a situation where people thought, this is amazing, we're now able to get all of this information and we're able to communicate in ways that we could not communicate before. And so you could argue <clears throat> that the power was on the side of the people. Uh -huh. And what I think has happened is that in the 20 plus years now that we've had the web, there's been a concerted effort by those people at the top of our little pyramid, and they do exist looking at this thinking, that's not a good situation, so we need to get control over this web. We need to be able to spy on people, track them 24-7, and then we also need to be able to control what they're seeing and guide them, corral them. And they are succeeding in that. Um, and we're seeing this now with this whole uh, farcical, ridiculous, absurd creation of this fake news meme oh. that is being promoted by the mainstream media. And, and what they're doing now, it's, this is more than just a bad joke. This has become actually dangerous because they're now demonetizing what, uh, YouTube sites, for example, yes. that are, in the, in, their, in the opinion of these arbitrary, random people being employed by Google, purveyors of, of unreliable news. Who are Absolutely. these people making this decision? Um, and, and, um, but what it's really doing is it's an attack on the alternative media and really an attempt by these people to bring us back to the 1980s so that we're all watching episodes of Full House and Who's the Boss and whatever. You know, back to this idiocy of the 90s and the 80s uh, in a highly controlled culture. Highly controlled culture. Whereas, uh, I don't think they'll be able fully to put the genie back in the bottle, but they're trying. They're trying their darndest. And uh, so yeah. my fear is that they're trying to control, censor our news, they're trying to spy on us through our um, through our browsers which they're doing and appliances and, Let's not and appliances, appliances. And, and by that profile us so think about this uh, you open your Gmail and your Gmail's got all the ads yeah just for you right because well, somehow, that's happening in, in exactly know, more, yeah so here's here's the thought so they're collecting information then there's all your web searches and all you know if anyone's ever even watched the movie Snowden by Oliver Stone there's a, a great moment where this is kind of crystallized, where like you see how the NSA and CIA can get all this information on people and put it together. So let's just assume that there is an agency that is able to gather mm -hmm. all of your stuff, mm -hmm. all of my stuff, and to create a profile, like in Minority Report, of predicted programming. Yeah. So they would, in a sense, they'd have the ability to know us better than we know ourselves in certain key ways. Uh -huh. And yet we, don't have access to that information, but they do. Okay. Like I'm, t I'm going to guess that there's someone in the classified world that does have access to this information, and they, if they wanted to, they could create a nice little dossier on us as Yathic, and know us quite well, know yeah. our psychological profile very well. And to me, that's that's a dangerous development. Anytime that a government has the potential to know me better than. <laughs> You know yourself. Then I, in some ways, in right? Some, right? Absolutely. Um, absolutely. Well, so I tell you what, there. I'm going to stop you for a minute. I can see we're going down a rabbit hole. We're getting ramped up here. We're going to take a quick break and come back. And on the other side of this, we're going to go a little further into this. I want to touch again upon the transhumanism idea. And let's see where it takes us. So we will be Great. right back with Richard Dolan. Join the HeartMath Institute and the Global Coherence Initiative for Activating the Global Heart, Facilitating the Planetary Awakening, November 1st through the 5th, 2017, at the beautiful Riviera Maya on the Yucatan Peninsula in Mexico. This will be a transformative retreat like no other, where you will get to experience reconnection, 
renewal, and uncover the next steps in your purpose and mission. Your event hosts, HeartMath's Roland McCready, Howard Martin, and Deborah Rosman, all experts in the field of heart intelligence, will personally guide you on this incredible journey. At this, our sixth annual Mexican retreat, you will learn heart awakening techniques for raising the baseline of your spiritual awareness, demystify intuition, increase and maintain emotional composure during times of chaos and tension, in addition to many more life-changing heart-based techniques that will advance your empowerment and bring much greater clarity, purpose, and fulfillment to your life. To learn more about this unique event and to register, be sure to visit heartmath.org and click on the Activating the Global Heart link. But hurry, space is limited. We look forward to seeing you in Mexico, November 1st through the 5th, for Activating the Global Heart, facilitating the planetary awakening. We're getting really wound up, Richard, so I think we need to keep that momentum going. Offline, we were constantly... We were keeping the conversation going, really getting into it. And I mean, obviously, this could easily be a two, three hour discussion. And, you know, as, as we know, Richard is a frequent guest to our show, and I'm sure we'll be picking picking up on, on these topics. Well, I love being here. Yeah, I love having you I here. I always enjoy our Welcome to my abode. <laughs> and by the way, we are at Joshua Tree for the, I think it's the fifth annual Contact in the Desert. Yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, my first time, and, and I'm really excited to be here talking to my buddy. Let's continue on the transhumanism idea it's a big story it's it's not a mainstream story as, as most of these juicy things are not it will be it's uh, inevitable do, well, that it will be. where do you think it's going i mean and, and how is this well, going to blend with the whole ai i mean where does ai fit into the spectrum i think think? ai will be part of our trend a transhumanist future i i have a feeling that that's definitely where we are moving um all you have to do is look at the speed of human civilization itself. We're, one thing about humanity is we're not... We've gotten into some kind of groove here. And it really took off with the age of science. <clears throat> Pardon me. Um, so roughly, let's say, the 16th, 17th century, where uh, European civilization developed a scientific method and this is actually, this is the fire of Prometheus. This is the key that is now creating uh, the world that we're in. So once human beings, once a select number of human beings discovered that there is this method, we call it the scientific method, um, it, un- it has unlocked everything. And now we're moving at a rate that is so um, beyond anything that we've had in our in our previous uh, centuries, mm-hmm. uh, we're rev- we're in a state of constant revolution now, and we have been actually for the past uh, uh, 350 or 400 years. Um, we're now at the stage where that revolution's included biological genetic manipulation. There's no turning back. Even the people who want to turn back can't because there's too many other people who are going to keep pushing it forward. Mm-hmm. It's done. It's going to happen. This is a train. It's, there's the track. And we're not veering off that track. Right. So the only thing that we don't know is where that track is exactly going to lead, but we're pretty sure it's going to lead to total mastery of the genome, total ability through CRISPR technology and others to manipulate genes in ways that are so easy and sophisticated that even 10 years ago they were not thinkable. And let alone where we're, where we're going to be in 20 years from now you combine, combine some of the leading technologies we have. CRISPR gene editing technology, um, artificial intelligence, 3D organic printing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, toss in quantum computing or molecular computing, if I even understand what that is. And we're at a point where we are this close to a complete, true ability to not simply manipulate who we are, but to create a different species that's um, genetic and artificial all at the same time. It's going to happen. Yeah. So that's... Without anyone noticing it, I'm going to keep coming back to that. I mean, if I can just pause for a minute or, or Without interject. anyone noticing if, if, they, if they have no historical memory, but a lot of people may not, so... Yeah, yeah, well, <laughs> let's look at the trend of what's going on right now. I mean, it, it, we're talking, obviously, about some very advanced technologies that are, that are, that are taking place in the highest, uh, the most well-funded laboratories, but I'm looking at the lay public and the, and the habits of the lay public. Again, I think we were talking offline about the use of oh. social 
social social networks and such and things that uh, clearly weren't weren't even remote a remote possibility in our minds a decade or so ago and individuals that are acting as if they have always been there adults 50 60 years old that are acting can't that are obsessed with it essentially and I look at all of this this right, backdrop, they have transformed themselves in ways exactly not necessarily in a better way is yeah I think what yeah. you're suggesting yeah so I, so there's that there's mm -hmm. that component of this big picture let's assume that the big picture is to literally transform homo sapien sapien into something that is at least partially inorganic and maybe eventually completely uh, there's got to be some level of acclimation on the side of the lay public. All this barrage of technology and this very, very unhealthy habituation toward that technology that you see every day. Fortunately, I haven't seen too much of the heads in the cell phones walking around here, and I think no, for good reason. It's a different, it's a different well, venue, obviously, but this is not the case on your average street. So, what gives here? And, and again, all of these things I think are interrelated. Well, I'm, may I continue? There's a thought that I actually I would like to uh, please do offer here. Yeah. Uh, first of all, I think that um, this virtual world that people are are living in is is only going to get greater and greater for another reason. So. Um, Throughout all of human history, you can look at our history as a big pyramid. And at the very top of that pyramid have always been the very smallest number of people who essentially own everything worth owning in that given society. America is no different in that regard than any, any sophisticated advanced civilization of, of the human past. Mm -hmm. Anywhere on this planet, there's always been a few people who have really controlled the vast majority of resources. And then, so that's the owner class, as I see it. And then there's always been a class just below them. Another, another very small sliver of the pyramid. I call them the managers. You know, so you have owners who own it, and you have managers who work for them. And then below that, let's say the 98% of the rest, I call them the worker bees. Yeah. The people who, who, on whose labor the wealth is generally, is always created. Now, in our society, we have a new class. So take the worker bees and slice it in half. And the bottom half of that pyramid are a class that, and I don't say this in a pejorative way, but these are the people we can call them the expendables. In other words, we're at the only time in human history where we actually have an entire large and growing class of human beings who really don't have skills that are going to fit them into the, into the job market. They don't have the ability to participate in any meaningful way in the, the kind of power structure that's controlling them. Mm -hmm. um, and, and in a sense, in the larger economy, they could drop dead and the people at the very top wouldn't even care, except that their existence keeps the worker bees scared and anxious and fighting each other. That's the whole point of our society right now, is you get the people on the very bottom scaring the people just above them when the people at the very top are like, yes, this is wonderful. Yeah. Keep fighting each other. Well, it's a cra typical and, crabs in a barrel mentality that's been right. proliferated. Right. Divide and conquer. Yeah. Right. So we have the expendable. So now, taking that, that idea and looking at our technology and our future, all right, what we're really seeing is that we have an entire class of humanity that is no longer needed. That's correct. Expendable people. So what's going to happen in a society where, like I said, the game of musical chairs, where you just keep taking the chairs out of the room, but there's the, the still the same number of people. Mm -hmm. So there's nowhere to sit. There's no jobs for Great these analogy. people. Great analogy, yeah. And so what are they going to do? So you've got the, a lot of these AI people, a lot of these computer tech people talking about universal basic, basic income. Mm -hmm. well, ah, okay. that's recently come now, up. That's a cool idea in a way, but it's a yeah. really bad idea in another, more important way. Right? They see rightly that there's not going to be jobs for people. And so what are you going to do with these people? Well, they have to have a universal basic income. Okay, fine. Of course, what that means is that if you or I live forever and all time on the basis of our government giving us our money, they will have total control over everything that you do. Mm -hmm. Because they can just pull your income. Absolutely. Because you're dependent on them. And there is no way anyone, I think, should be so stupid as to think, oh, no, they won't have any leverage over me. Of course, they'll have every bit of leverage over you, mm -hmm. more than they even do now. So if you don't care, if you're one of those people that doesn't care and 
fine. So you can do that. Some of us do care. I think there so, are, if I can just say, I think yeah. there are, you, you, we're weaving a very, very intricate thread here, uh, Richard, but I think that, uh, I think it's a very important one. You said another buzzword, the, the desensitization of the individual or the collective, really, uh, not caring, um, not noticing these all kind of go together. So this universal basic income theme, I, and I, I'm trying to recall where I recently, I don't know if it was you that was discussing it on another show or somewhere else, but it's a, a buzzword that I have heard it's, recently. It's out there, yeah. It's out there. And I think it's yet another uh, indication that they're trying to keep people dumbed down and without choices, uh, subservient and ready to be taken over it, by perhaps. And, yeah, and whether willing, whether wittingly or not wittingly, mm. all right? This is why our education system is so terrible. This is why our media is so ridiculously, insultingly dumb. Mm -hmm. Because the fact is, you really can't have, from the point of view of those people at the top, they, they don't want an educated citizenry. That's the no. last thing that they want. They never did. All right. Absolutely. And, and it's possibly stronger now than before because, because when you've got people where there's no opportunity, there's no hope, do you want a, a, a society of PhDs who are basically over-educated mm. for the limited roles that this society now has for them? No. Of course they're not going to want that. No. Woodrow Wilson, before he became president of the United States, said exactly the same thing when he was at Princeton. Um, again, I wish I could remember this exactly, but paraphrasing, talking about really what we needed as a society where there were a few people who were well-educated to kind of manage things, and a lot of people who just had enough education so they could do the jobs mm -hmm. that they needed to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is how Bertrand Russell 100 years ago was saying, this is what education is, people. It's there to create conformity factories so that you can be a good, obedient worker. George Carlin was saying it before he died. Yeah. It's the same old theme. And, um, and now, though, that we're moving into an area where computing, computing technology, AI and other developments are creating a world in which human workers, the, you know, like our grandparents, blue-collar, hard-working people, that's all going away, right? So people who didn't have a college education could still have a living, right? All right, those people are being scooped out of our. Be the reason being for the FEMA concentration camps that so many of us have heard of that are allegedly being built. I'm going out on a limb here, and I'm, I'm maybe speaking out of school, but this is leading to something, that these people are becoming obsolete, but if there's nowhere for them to go, as long as we give them that universal basic income, shove them in an area that's restricted. Maybe maybe it's concentrated urban areas. I don't know, but... Well, I don't know. I, I don't really it's a have... Big thing. Uh, it's a big thing. Yes, it's people disturbing. have been talking about this for years. I have personally never seen... Uh, legitimate evidence that, that I would say okay. that says this Fair is enough. the case. Um, and that, believe me, I think our government does horrible things. I mean, truly criminal things. And I wouldn't, I don't think it's impossible that such an okay. eventuality could happen. Yeah. So don't get me wrong here. Yeah. No, I appreciate but, you stating um, that for the record. Because we don't know. We can only speculate. But again. But, but, but it is true. I think, if I'm not mistaken, it might have been Henry Kissinger who referred to massive humanity as useless, useless eaters. Useless eaters, allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah. And uh, if he didn't say it, he thought it. Yeah. He thinks it. <laughs> so the point is, you've got a lot of, in the, in the view, point of view of those people, again, running our show, right. um, I have no doubt that they think of the massive humanity as expendable, useless eaters. And, and perfect guinea pigs. What? <laughs> yeah, they don't, right? Yeah. They, they don't... I mean, I don't know how much, you know, people watching us on YouTube are a very wide range of people, I'm sure, watching us. And I'm sure some are thinking, yep, exactly, he's, they're exactly correct. And other people watching this type of thing for the first time thinking, that's crazy talk. And I guess what I would say is if you go back through, uh, um, do some basic reading on the rich and the super rich, and that's in fact the title of a very excellent book from the 1960s by a man named Ferdinand Lundberg. Mm -hmm. Highly recommended. Lundberg talked about this, and he did a great deal of study of the upper, 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 upper crust. And he, he was like in the novel The Great Gatsby. The rich aren't like you and me, old boy. <laughs> and this is what Lundberg is really saying in his book. They don't think like normal people. They don't have, they don't look at us the way that we look at us. Right, that's absolutely Just true. Just the way you were saying. 
as an experiment, as whatever, yeah. as something to be manipulated. Absolutely. And sadly, I think there's a lot of people at the very top who they think for whatever their reasons are, self-justification, that they and they only have the right to run this world. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I believe they're convinced of that. In fact, I, I can't quote anything off, off the top of my head, but I have heard references to other so-called insiders or those that know insiders that have, and, and those people at the super rich level, uh, talking in those terms, just completely well, uh, fine with, with talking about the expendability may, of, of people. If, if I may put a plug for another YouTube video, yeah. um, um, I'm a fan of the... Um, a uh, YouTube channel called Vigilant Citizen. Mm-hmm. It's a very, very good site. And uh, there was recently an interview that was done on that with a, uh, a banker a, a from the Netherlands. Yes. And it's a 39, 40-minute interview. I'm familiar with he, it. He talks yeah. about the, the very, very upper level He's of a our Dutch world. banker, I believe. And there, there's a, I believe there's an abbreviated version of it. And it's subtitled because he's speaking in his native language. And then there's a longer version that's very telling. With in yeah. English. And that's the one I listen to. It's quite good. I would encourage I'm, everyone to go to that. In fact, maybe we can have a link have a link to that. Now, I'm going to apologize to the audience because I know <laughs> that you're getting some of Now you know all the activity that's going at, on at this beautiful location. We've got an event over here and behind us. So please forgive if there's some extra. And I think we're hearing... Jimmy Church, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, yes. Okay, so we only have a few minutes left, so we're gonna Might be best. Yeah, <laughs> we may have to work really hard. We, exactly, but this is a fantastic conversation, and it's something that we're actually going to continue having, I'm sure, well into the evening hours this evening. Um, but you know, there's one more thing I want to touch on before before we close out. Going maybe coming full circle and talking about this whole idea of AI being the predominant way that those of us that are going to be left will live our lives, either quasi-synthetic or fully synthetic or having it running us, whatever it is. The hybridization program is something that oh, yes. also has to be mentioned. I'd be remiss if I didn't bring that out. What, what, what gives there? And, and, and this also brings back to the conversation the possibility that non-human intelligence, is what I prefer to call them, may have a hand in taking Homo sapiens sapien in this direction the abductions and the hybridization uh, that is allegedly going on. Well, right, so the, you know, we talk about this because the, the kind of evidence that is being presented derives from uh, a number of researchers who conduct hypnotherapy on people who've had apparent abduction experiences and have gotten what they feel is a consistent amount of body of testimony from these individuals about hybrid babies, uh, hybrid human-alien babies, and so on. And, uh, you know, it's very controversial because, of course, there are many people who say, well, this is all uh, confabulation, and the the hypnotherapist is leading the the, uh, Hmm. percipient. Uh, I personally don't believe that that is so. Um, I will acknowledge that it's tricky because we're dealing with human memory, and, and, you know, the truth is I think most people who go to a hypnotherapist to talk about their potential alien abduction are maybe open to the possibility that this has happened. So, okay, I can see the argument there. On the other hand, uh, I'm familiar with the history of this uh, idea, and I don't believe that uh, this derives from hypnotherapists trying to lead the witness. I just don't believe it. And um, so I think that there's something going on. Hmm. And um, so if we postulate that there is a hybridization program happening, all, all that I can do, like you, Alexis, is just speculate. I don't. Um, I try to know what I know and know what I don't know. Right. So I think that there's yeah. a. I, I know that there's a UFO phenomenon, and I know it because we have enough declassified U.S. government documents and also documents from around the world that show there's a phenomenon that exists that's not supposed to exist, and it's gotten very serious attention. That enough is that should be enough to blow our reality wide open Absolutely. and have curious people asking, let's get to the bottom of this. On top of that, there's a lot of reasonably good and a large mass of this testimony dealing with people's encounters with what also seems to be the impossible, except they keep coming. These encounters keep happening. So many of them. Mm-hmm. You and I have each spoken to countless individuals mm-hmm. who've had them. So, you know, we're in a position where we either have to say, well, you're all crazy, you're all confabulating, or you're lying, or we we have to come to the harder conclusion and say, looks like there's something going on. Looks like there's something going on. What's happening here? Right. All right, so I think that this is a reality. 
I, I think very strongly, actually, that this is a reality, that there's, there's another group of intelligences that are here inter interacting with us. Now, the real difficulty that I have is the next step, which is, what is their agenda? Why are they doing this? Are they good? Are they bad? Right. Are they indifferent? I don't know. I no. mean, I have to honestly tell you, I've looked at this for over 20 years. I don't have those answers. I may never have. You may them. never have them, and that's the thing that we have to we have to kind of come to to reason that uh, look, we're all here on a journey. I, I think I've said this. We've had this conversation many times before. The goal may not even be to get the ultimate answer because I think that that might be a futile endeavor, but to continue the exploration. I mean, look, this is a dot connecting exercise. Um, all of these things, I really don't think are disparate. I do think that there's a connection. Ancient we, people had certain wisdom that I think we would do well to come. We would back do to. well to come back to. So they recognized. Right. Uh, you know, that human beings are here and the divine is here. So in other words, we don't really have all the insights. Mm -hmm. We're not omniscient. We're not omnipotent. Right. And yet what's happened is our love affair with science for the last few centuries has given some people this delusion hmm. that we can know everything, that we can have the power of the gods. Mm -hmm. Well, I don't really think so. And I'll go on the record as saying I beg to differ. Okay. I think that we human beings are amazing creatures we're tremendous. We're incredible in so many ways. Um, but we have limitations as well. And I don't think it's a bad thing to recognize that we have them. That's the human condition, guys. Right. That's what being a, a mortal human being is, mm. is we have limitations. And there will always be the fact that our reach does not, our grasp does not exceed our reach. Mm -hmm. You know, we can reach, but we can't quite grab it. And I, I am perfectly fine with that. I like having some mystery in this world, and I it's think fine it, not knowing everything. Yeah, yeah. I will try to learn as much as I can, and at the end of the day, that's you learned it. a lot, and you've taught a lot. Sometimes you're the teacher, sometimes you're the student, and you're so humble in that regard. And speaking of mystery, I think it was Richard Feynman who said, uh, "There, there does no harm to the mystery to know a little bit about it." So we're about right, exploring, well and it's one of my favorite quotes. So I appreciate the humility and the knowledge and the wisdom. We're going to close out right now because things are ramping up here at Contact. I'm going to let you go and say thank you. It was my pleasure, Alexis. Enjoyed it very much. Thank you so much, Richard. And thank you, everyone, as always, for tuning in to Higher Journeys. Take care. There is no doubt that we are barreling down the path of a world steeped in and dominated by technology. But who or what is behind this infrastructure of artificial intelligence? And what might the average citizen have to gain or lose by signing on to the singularity? Moreover, is this truly the path toward real human evolution? Or, as Kurzweil put it, a very good facsimile of the real world? These are some weighty questions to ponder, but ponder we should. Regardless of our stance on the AI revolution, as Richard Dolan points out, this is a runaway train, bound for a destination that shows no signs of a return trip. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this subject. Let us hear from you by simply going to higherjourneys.com or by visiting our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash higherjourneys. Let's keep the conversation going. As always, I thank you for tuning in to Higher Journeys. Until next time, I'm your host, Alexis Brooks. Thank you.